Chapter 26 Summer was already past its prime when Edgar reluctantly yielded his assent to their entreaties, and Catherine and I set out on our first ride to join her cousin. It was a close, sultry day, devoid of sunshine, but with the sky too dappled and hazy to threaten rain, and our place of meeting had been fixed at the guidestone by the crossroads. On arriving there, however, a little herd boy dispatched as a messenger told us that Maester Linton would just get cider to heights, and he'd be mitched obliged to us to gang on a bit further. Then Master Linton has forgot the first injunction of his uncle, I observed. He bid us keep on the Grange land, and here we are off at once. Well, we'll turn our horses' heads round when we reach him, answered my companion. Our excursion shall lie towards home. But when we reached him, and that was scarcely a quarter of a mile from his own door, we found he had no horse, and we were forced to dismount and leave ours to graze. He lay on the heath awaiting our approach, and did not rise till we came within a few yards. He then walked so feebly, and looked so pale, that I immediately exclaimed, Why, Master Heathcliff, you are not fit for enjoying a ramble this morning. How ill you look! Catherine surveyed him with grief and astonishment. She changed the ejaculation of joy on her lips to one of alarm and the congratulation on their long-postponed meeting to an anxious inquiry whether he were worse than usual. No, better, better, he panted, trembling, and retaining her hand as if he needed its support, while his large blue eyes wandered timidly over her, the hollowness round them transforming to haggard wildness the languid expression they once possessed. But you have been worse, persisted his cousin, Worse than when I last saw you. You are thinner and... I'm tired, he interrupted hurriedly. It is too hot for walking. Let us rest here. And in the morning I often feel sick. Papa says I grow so fast. Badly satisfied, Cathy sat down and he reclined beside her. This is something like your paradise, she said, making an effort at cheerfulness. You recollect the two days we agreed to spend in the place and way each thought pleasantest. This is yours. Only there are clouds, but then they are so soft and mellow, it's nicer than sunshine. Next week, if you can, we'll ride to the Grange Park and try mine. Linton did not appear to remember what she talked of, and he had evidently great difficulty in sustaining any kind of conversation. His lack of interest in the subject she started, and his equal incapacity to contribute to her entertainment, were so obvious that she could not conceal her disappointment. An indefinite alteration had come over his whole person and manner. The pettishness that might be caressed into fondness had yielded to a listless apathy. There was less of the peevish temper of a child which frets and teases on purpose to be soothed, and more of the self-absorbed moroseness of a confirmed invalid, repelling consolation and ready to regard the good-humoured mirth of others as an insult. Catherine perceived it as well as I did, that he held it rather a punishment than a gratification to endure our company, and she made no scruple of proposing presently to depart. That proposal unexpectedly roused Linton from his lethargy and threw him into a strange state of agitation. He glanced fearfully towards the heights, begging she would remain another half hour at least. But I think, said Cathy, you'd be more comfortable at home than sitting here, and I cannot amuse you today, I see, by my tales and songs and chatter. You have grown wiser than I in these six months. You have little taste for my diversions now, or else, if I could amuse you, I'd stay willingly. 
Stay to rest yourself, he replied. And Catherine, don't think or say that I'm very unwell. It is the heavy weather and the heat that make me dull, and I walked about before you came a great deal for me. Tell Uncle I'm in tolerable health, will you? I'll tell him that you say so, Linton. I couldn't affirm that you are, observed my young lady, wondering at his pertinacious assertion of what was evidently an untruth. And be here again next Thursday, continued he, shunning her puzzled gaze, and give him my thanks for permitting you to come, my best thanks, Catherine, and, and if you did meet my father and he asked about you and me, don't lead him to suppose that I've been extremely silent and stupid. Don't look sad and downcast as you're doing. He'll be angry. I care nothing for his anger, exclaimed Cathy, imagining she would be its object. But I do, said her cousin, shuddering. Don't provoke him against me, Catherine, for he's very hard. Is he severe to you, Master Heathcliff? I inquired. He has grown weary of indulgence and passed from passive to active hatred. Linton looked at me but did not answer, and after keeping her seat by his side another ten minutes, during which his head fell drowsily on his breast, and he uttered nothing except suppressed moans of exhaustion of pain, Cathy began to seek solace in looking for bilberries, and sharing the produce of her researches with me. She did not offer them to him, for she saw further notice would only weary and annoy. "'Is it half an hour now, Ellen?' she whispered in my ear at last. I can't tell why we should stay. He's asleep, and Papa will be wanting us back. Well, we must not leave him asleep, I answered. Wait till he awakes, and be patient. You were mighty eager to set off, but your longing to see poor Linton has soon evaporated. Why did he wish to see me? returned Catherine. In his crossest humours, formerly, I liked him better than I do in his present curious mood. It's just as if it were a task he were compelled to perform, this interview for fear his father should scold him. But I'm hardly going to come to give Mr Heathcliff pleasure, whatever reason he may have for ordering Linton to undergo this penance. And though I'm glad he's better in health, I'm sorry he's so much less pleasant and so much less affectionate to me. You think he is better in health then? I said. Yes, she answered, because he always made such a great deal of his sufferings, you know. He is not tolerably well, and he told me to tell Papa but he's better, very likely. There, you differ with me, Miss Cathy, I remarked. I should conjecture him to be far worse. Linton here started from his slumber in bewildered terror and asked if one had called his name. No, said Catherine, unless in your dreams I cannot conceive how you managed to doze out of doors in the morning. I thought I heard my father, he gasped glancing up the frowning nab above us. Are you sure nobody spoke? Quite sure, replied his cousin. Only an Ellen and I were disputing concerning your health. Are you truly stronger, Linton, that when we separated in winter? If you be, I'm certain one thing is not stronger, your regard for me. Speak, are you? The tears gushed from Linton's eyes as he answered, Yes, yes, I am and still under the spell of the imaginary voice his gaze wandered up and down to detect its owner. Cathy rose. For today we must part, she said, and I won't conceal that I've been sadly disappointed with our meeting, though I'll mention it to nobody but you, not that I stand in awe of Mr Heathcliff. Hush, murmured Linton, for God's sake, hush, he's coming, and he clung to Catherine's arm, striving to detain her, 
but at that announcement she hastily disengaged herself and whistled to Minnie, who obeyed her like a dog. I'll be here next Thursday, she cried, springing to the saddle. Goodbye. Quick, Ellen. And so we left him, scarcely conscious of our departure, so absorbed was he in anticipating his father's approach. Before we reached home, Catherine's displeasure softened into a perplexed sensation of pity and regret, largely blended with vague, uneasy doubts about Linton's actual circumstances, physical and social, in which I partook, though I counselled her not to say much, for a second journey would make us better judges. My master requested an account of her ongoings. His nephew's offered of thanks was truly delivered. Miss Cathy gently touching on the rest. I also threw little light on his inquiries, for I hardly knew what to hide and what to reveal. Chapter 27 Seven days glided away, every one marking its course by the henceforth rapid alteration of Edgar Linton's state. The havoc that months had previously wrought was now emulated by the inroads of hours. Catherine, we would fain have deluded yet, but her own quick spirit refused to delude her. It divined in secret and brooded on the dreadful probability, gradually ripening into certainty. She had not the heart to mention the ride when Thursday came round. I mentioned it for her and obtained permission to order her out of doors, for the library where her father stopped a short time daily, the brief period he could bear to sit up, and his chamber had become her whole world. She grudged each moment that did not find her bending over his pillow or seated by his side. Her countenance grew wan with watching and sorrow, and my master gladly dismissed her to what he flattered himself would be a happy change of scene and society, drawing comfort from the hope that she would not now be left entirely alone after his death. He had a fixed idea, I guessed by several observations he let fall, that as his nephew resembled him in person, he would resemble him in mind, for Linton's letters bore few or no indications of his defective character, and I, through pardonable weakness, refrained from correcting the error, asking myself what good there would be in disturbing his last moments with information that he had neither power nor opportunity to turn to account. We deferred our excursion till the afternoon, a golden afternoon of August. Every breath from the hills so full of life that it seemed whoever respired it, though dying, might revive. Catherine's face was just like the landscape, shadows and sunshine flitting over it in rapid succession. But the shadows rested longer and the sunshine was more transient and her poor little heart reproached itself for even that passing forgetfulness of its cares. We discerned Linton watching at the same spot he had selected before. My young mistress alighted and told me that, as she was resolved to stay a very little while, I'd better hold the pony and remain on horseback. But I dissented. I wouldn't risk losing sight of the charge committed to me a minute. So we climbed the slope of Heath together. Master Heathcliff received us with greater animation on this occasion. Not the animation of high spirits, though, nor yet of joy. It looked more like fear. It's late, he said, speaking short with difficulty. Is your father very ill? I thought you wouldn't come. Why won't you be candid, cried Catherine, swallowing her greeting. Why cannot you say at once you don't want me? 
It is strange, Linton, that for the second time you have brought me here on purpose, apparently to distress us both and for no reason besides. Linton shivered and glanced at her, half supplicating, half ashamed, but his cousin's patience was not sufficient to endure this enigmatical behaviour. My father is very ill, she said, and why am I called from his bedside? Why didn't you send to absolve me from my promise when you wished I wouldn't keep it? Come, I desire an explanation. Playing and trifling are completely banished out of my mind, and I can't dance attendance on your affections now. My affections, he murmured. What are they? For heaven's sake, Catherine, don't look so angry. Despise me as much as you please. I'm a worthless, cowardly wretch. I can't be scorned enough, but I'm too mean for your anger. Hate my father and spare me for contempt. Nonsense, cried Catherine in a passion. Foolish, silly boy. And there he trembles as if I really going, was going to touch him. You needn't bespeak contempt, Linton. Anybody will have it spontaneously at your service. Get off. I shall return home. It is a folly dragging you from the hearthstone and pretending. What do we pretend? Let go my frock. If I pitied you for crying and looking so very frightened, you should spurn such pity. Ellen, tell him how disgraceful this conduct is. Rise and don't degrade yourself into an abject reptile. Don't. With streaming face and an expression of agony, Linton had thrown his nerveless frame along the ground. He seemed convulsed with exquisite terror. Oh, he sobbed, I cannot bear it, Catherine. Catherine, I'm a traitor too, and I dare not tell you, but leave me and I shall be killed. Dear Catherine, my life is in your hands, and you have said you loved me, and if you did, it wouldn't harm you. You'll not go then. Kind, sweet, good Catherine, perhaps you will consent, and he'll let me die with you. My young lady, on witnessing his intense anguish, stooped to raise him. The old feeling of indulgent tenderness came over her vexation and she grew thoroughly moved and alarmed. Consent to what? she asked. To stay? Tell me the meaning of this strange talk and I will. You contradict your own words and distract me. Be calm and frank and confess at once all that weighs on your heart. You wouldn't injure me, Linton, would you? You wouldn't let any enemy hurt me if you could prevent it. I believe you are a coward for yourself, but not a cowardly betrayer of your best friend. But my father threatened me, gasped the boy, clasping his attenuated fingers. And I dread him. I dread him. I dare not tell. Oh well, said Catherine with scornful compassion. Keep your secret. I'm no coward. Save yourself. I'm not afraid. Her magnanimity provoked his tears. He wept wildly kissing her supported hands, and yet could not summon the courage to speak out. I was cogitating what the mystery might be, and determined Catherine should never suffer to benefit him or anyone else by my goodwill, when, hearing a rustle among the ling, I looked up and saw Mr Heathcliff amongst close upon us, descending the heights. He didn't cast a glance towards my companions, they were, though they were sufficiently near for Linton's sobs to be audible but hailing me in the almost hearty tone he assumed to none besides, and the sincerity of which I couldn't avoid doubting, he said, It is something to see you so near to my house, Nelly. How are you at the Grange? Let us hear. The rumour goes, 
He added in a lower tone that Edgar Linton is on his deathbed. Perhaps they exaggerate his illness. No, my master is dying, I replied. It is true enough. A sad thing it will be for all of us, but a blessing for him. How long do you think he will last? he asked. I don't know, I said. Because, he continued, looking at the two young people who were fixed under his eye. Linton appeared as if he could not venture to stir or raise his head and Catherine could not move on his account. Because that lad yonder seems determined to beat me and I'd thank his uncle to be quick and go before him. Hello, has the whelp been playing that game long? I did give him some lessons about snivelling. Is he pretty lively with Miss Linton generally? Lively? No, he has shown the greatest distress, I answered. To see him, I should say, that instead of rambling with his sweetheart on the hills, he ought to be in bed under the hands of a doctor. He shall be in a day or two, muttered Heathcliff. But first, get up, Linton, get up, he shouted. Don't grovel on the ground there, up this moment. Linton had sunk prostrate again in another paroxysm of helpless fear caused by his father's glance towards him, I suppose. There was nothing else to produce such humiliation. He made several efforts to obey, but his little strength was annihilated for the time and he fell back again with a moan. Mr Heathcliff advanced and lifted him to lean against a ridge of turf. Now, said he with curbed ferocity, I'm getting angry and if you don't command that paltry spirit of yours, damn you, get up directly. I will, father, he panted, only let me alone or I shall faint. I've done as you wished, I'm sure. Catherine will tell you that I, that I've been cheerful. Ah, keep by me, Catherine, give me your hand. Take mine, said his father, stand on your feet. There now, she'll lend you her arm, that's right, look at her. You would imagine I was the devil himself, Miss Linton, to excite such horror. Be so kind as to walk home with him, will you? He shudders if I touch him. Linton, dear, whispered Catherine, I can't go to Wuthering Heights, Papa has forbidden me. He'll not harm you. Why are you so afraid? I can never re-enter that house, he answered. I'm not to re-enter it without you. Stop, cried his father. We'll respect Catherine's filial scruples. Nelly, take him in and I'll follow your advice concerning the doctor without delay. You'll do well, replied I, but I must remain with my mistress to mind your son is not my business. You are very stiff, said Heathcliff. I know that, but you'll force me to pinch the baby and make it scream before it moves your charity. Come then, my hero. Are you willing to return, escorted by me? He approached once more and made as if he would seize the fragile being. But shrinking back, Linton clung to his cousin and implored her to accompany him with a frantic importunity that admitted no denial. However, I disapproved. I couldn't hinder it. Indeed, how could she have refused him herself? What was filling him with dread? We had no means of discerning. And there he was, powerless under its gripe, and any addiction seemed capable of shocking him into idiocy. We reached the threshold. Catherine walked in, and I stood waiting till she had conducted the invalid to a chair, expecting her out immediately, when Mr Heathcliff, pushing me forward, exclaimed, my house is not stricken with the plague, Nelly, and I have a mind to be hospitable today. Sit down and allow me to shut the door. He shut and locked it also. I started. You shall have tea before you go home, he added. I am by myself. 
Ned and is gone with some cattle to the Lees, and Zilla and Joseph are off on a journey of pleasure. And though I'm used to being alone, I'd rather have some interesting company, if I can get it. Miss Linton, take your seat by him. I give you what I have. The present is hardly worth accepting, but I have nothing else to offer. It is Linton, I mean. How she does stare. It's odd what a savage feeling I have to anything that seems afraid of me. Had I been born where laws are less strict and tastes less dainty, I should treat myself to a slow vivisection of those two as an evening's amusement. He drew in his breath, struck the table and swore to himself, by hell I hate them. I am not afraid of you, exclaimed Catherine, who could not hear the latter part of his speech. She stepped close up, her black eyes flashing with passion and resolution. Give me that key, I will have it, she said. I wouldn't eat or drink here if I were starving. Heathcliff had the key in his hands that remained on the table. He looked up, seized with a sort of surprise at her boldness, or possibly reminded by her voice and glance of the person from whom she inherited it. She snatched at the instrument and half succeeded in getting it out of his loosened fingers, but her action recalled him to the present. He recovered it speedily. Now, Catherine Linton, he said, stand off or I shall knock you down and that will make Mrs. Dean mad. Regardless of this warning, she captured his closed hand and its contents again. We will go, she repeated, exerting her utmost efforts to cause the iron muscles to relax and finding that her nails made no impression, she applied her teeth pretty sharply. Heathcliff glanced at me a glance that kept me from interfering a moment. Catherine was too intent on his fingers to notice his face. He opened them suddenly and resigned the object of dispute. But ere she had well secured it, he seized her with a liberated hand and pulling her on his knee, administered with the other a shower of terrific slaps on both sides of the head, each sufficient to have fulfilled his threat had she been able to fall. At this diabolical violence, I rushed on him furiously. You villain, I began to cry, you villain. A touch on the chest silenced me. I am stout and soon put out of breath and what with that and the rage, I staggered dizzily back and felt ready to suffocate or to burst a blood vessel. The scene was over in two minutes. Catherine released, put her two hands to her temples and looked just as if she were not sure whether her ears were off or on. She trembled like a reed, poor thing, and leant against the table, perfectly bewildered. I know how to chastise children, you see, said the scoundrel grimly as he stooped to repossess himself of the key which had dropped on the floor. Go to Linton now, as I told you, and cry at your ease. I shall be your father tomorrow, all the father you'll have in a few days, and you shall have plenty of that. You can't bear, you can bear plenty, you're no weakling. You shall have a daily taste if I catch such a devil of a temper in your eyes again. Cathy ran to me instead of Linton and knelt down and put her burning cheek on my lap, weeping aloud. Her cousin had shrunk into a corner of the settle, as quiet as a mouse, congratulating himself, I dare say, that the correction had alighted on another than him. Mr Heathcliff, perceiving us all confounded, rose and expeditiously made himself tea. The cups and saucers were laid ready. He poured it out and handed me a cup. Wash away your spleen, he said, and help your own naughty pet and mine. It is not poisoned, though I prepared it. I'm going out to seek your horses. 
Our first thought on his departure was to force an exit somewhere. We tried the kitchen door, but that was fastened outside. We looked at the windows. They were too narrow for even Cathy's little figure. Master Linton, I cried, seeing we were regularly imprisoned. You shall know what your diabolical father is after, and you shall tell us or I'll box your ears as he has done your cousins. Yes, Miss... Miss... Yes, Linton, you must tell, said Catherine. It was for your sake I came. It will be wickedly ungrateful if you refuse. Give me some tea. I'm thirsty, and then I'll tell you, he answered. Mrs Dean, go away. I don't like you standing over me. Now, Catherine, you are letting your tears fall into my cup. I won't drink that. Give me another. Catherine pushed another to him and wiped her face. I felt disgusted at the little wretch's composure, since he was no longer in terror for himself. The anguish he had exhibited on the moor subsided as soon as ever he entered Wuthering Heights, so I guessed he had been menaced with the awful visitation of wrath if he failed in decoying us there, and that accomplished he had no further immediate fears. Papa wants us to be married, he continued, after sipping some of the liquid, and he knows your papa wouldn't let us marry now, and he's afraid of my dying if we wait, so we are to be married in the morning, and you are to stay here all night, and if you do as he wishes you shall return home next day and take me with you. Take you with her? Pitiful changeling, I exclaimed. You? Marry? Why, the man is mad. Or well, he thinks us fools every one. And do you imagine that beautiful young lady, that healthy, hearty girl, will tie herself to a little perishing monkey like you? Are you cherishing the notion that anybody, let alone Miss Catherine Linton, would have you for a husband? You want whipping for bringing us up here with your dastardly pulling tricks. And don't look so silly now. I have a very good mind to shake you severely for your contemptible treachery and your imbecile conceit. I did give him a slight shaking, but it brought on the cough, and he took to his ordinary resource of moaning and weeping, and Catherine rebuked me. Stay all night? No, she said, looking slowly round. Ellen, I'll burn that door down, but I'll get out. And she would have commenced the execution of her threat directly, but Linton was up in alarm for his dear self again. He clasped her in his two feeble arms, sobbing. Won't you have me and save me? Not let me come to the Grange. Oh, darling Catherine, you mustn't go and leave after all. You must obey my father. You must. I must obey my own, she replied, and relieve him from this cruel suspense. The whole night, what would he think? He'll be distressed already. I'll either break or burn away out of this house. Be quiet, you're in no danger. But if you hinder me, Linton, I'll love papa. I love papa better than you. The moral terror he felt of Mr Heathcliff's anger restored to the boy his cowardice's eloquence. Catherine was near distraught. Still, she persisted that she must go home and tried entreaty in her turn, persuading him to subdue his selfish agony. While they were thus occupied, our jailer re-entered. Your beasts have trotted off, he said. And now, Linton, snivelling again, what has she been doing to you? Come, come, have done and get to bed. In a month or two, my lad, you'll be able to pay her back her present tyrannies with a vigorous hand. You're pining for pure love, aren't you? Nothing else in the world. And she shall have you. There, to bed. Zilla won't be here tonight. You must undress yourself. Hush, hold your noise. Once in your own room, I'll not come near you. You needn't fear. 
By chance you've managed tolerably. I'll look to the rest. He spoke these words, holding the door open for his son to pass, and the latter achieved his exit exactly as a spaniel might, which suspected the person who attended on it of designing a spiteful squeeze. The lock was re-secured. Heathcliff approached the fire where my mistress and I stood silent. Catherine looked up and instinctively raised her hand to her cheek. His neighbourhood revived a painful sensation. Anybody else would have been incapable of regarding the childish act with sternness, but he scowled on her and muttered, Oh, you are not afraid of me. Your courage is well disguised. You seem damnably afraid. I am afraid now, she replied, because if I stay, Papa will be miserable. And how can I endure making him miserable? When he, when he, Mr Heathcliff, let me go home. I promised to marry Linton. Papa would like me to and I love him. Why should you wish to force me to do what I'm willing to do of myself? Let him dare to force you, I cried. There's law in the land, thank God there is. Though we be in an out-of-the-way place, I'd inform if he were my own son and it's felony without benefit of clergy. Silence, said the ruffian, to the devil with your clamour. I don't want you to speak. Miss Linton, I shall enjoy myself remarkably in thinking your father will be miserable. I shall not sleep for satisfaction. You could have hit on no surer way of fixing your residence under my roof for the next 24 hours and informing me that such an event would follow. As to your promise to marry Linton, I'll take care you shall keep it, for you shall not quit this place till it is fulfilled. Send Ellen then to let Papa know I'm safe, exclaimed Catherine, weeping bitterly. Or marry me now, poor Papa, Ellen, he'll think we're lost, what shall we do? Not he, he'll think you are tired of waiting on him and run off for a little amusement, answered Heathcliff. You cannot deny you entered my house of your own accord, in contempt of his injunctions to the contrary. And it is quite natural that you should desire amusement at your age, and that you would be weary of nursing a sick man and that man only your father. Catherine, his happiest days were over when your days began. He cursed you, I dare say, for coming into the world. I did at least. And it would just do if he cursed you as he went out of it. I join him. I don't love you. How should I weep away? As far as I can see, it will be your chief's diversion hereafter. Unless Linton make amends for other losses, and your provenant parent appears to fancy he may. His letters of advice and consolation entertained me vastly. In his last he recommended my jewel to be careful of his, and kind to her when he got her. Careful and kind, that's paternal. But Linton requires his whole stock of care and kindness for himself. Linton can play the little tyrant well. He'll undertake to torture any number of cats if their teeth be drawn and their claws paired. You'll be able to tell his uncle fine tales of his kindness when you get home again, I assure you. You're right there, I said. Explain your son's character. Show his resemblance to yourself. And then I hope Miss Cathy will think twice before she takes the cockatrice. I don't mind much speaking of his amiable qualities now, he answered, because she must either accept him or remain a prisoner, and you along with her till your master dies. I can detain you both quite concealed here. If you doubt, encourage her to retract her word and you'll have an opportunity of judging. I'll not retract my word, said Catherine. I'll marry him within this hour if I may go to Thrushkosh Grange afterwards. Mr Heathcliff, you're a cruel man, but you're not a fiend. 
and you won't, from mere malice, destroy irrevocably all my happiness. If Papa thought I'd left him on purpose, and if he died before I returned, could I bear to live? I've given over crying, but I'm going to kneel here at your knee, and I'll not get up, and I'll not take my eyes from your face till you look back at me. No, don't turn away. Do look. You'll see nothing to provoke you. I don't hate you. I'm not angry that you struck me. Have you never loved anybody in all your life, Uncle? Never. Oh, you must look once. I'm so wretched. You can't help being sorry and pitying me. Keep your efts fingers off and moo or I'll kick you, cried Heathcliff, brutally repulsing her. I'd rather be hugged by a snake. How the devil can you dream of fawning on me? I detest you. He shrugged his shoulders, shook himself indeed, as if his flesh crept with aversion, and thrust back his chair, while I got up and opened my mouth to convince a downright torrent of abuse. But I was rendered dumb in the middle of the first sentence by a threat that I should be shown into a room by myself for the very next syllable I uttered. It was growing dark. We heard a sound of voices at the garden gate. Our host hurried out instantly. He had his wits about him. We had not. There was a talk of two or three minutes and he returned alone. I thought it had been your cousin Hareton, I observed to Catherine. I wish he would arrive. Who knows, but he might take our part. It was three servants sent to seek you from the Grange, said Heathcliff, overhearing me. You should have opened the lattice and called out. But I could swear that chit is glad you didn't. She's glad to be obliged to say I'm certain. At learning the chance we had missed, we both gave vent to our grief without control, and he allowed us to wail on till nine o'clock. Then he bid us go upstairs through the kitchen to Zilla's chamber, and I whispered to my companion to obey. Perhaps we might contrive to get through the window there or into a garret and out by its skylight. The window, however, was narrow like those below, and the garret trap was safe from our attempts, for we were fastened in as before. We neither of us lay down. Catherine took her station by the lattice and watched anxiously for morning, a deep sigh being the only answer I could obtain to my frequent entreaties that she would try to rest. I seated myself in a chair and rocked to and fro, passing harsh judgment on my many derelictions of duty, from which it struck me then all the misfortunes of my employers sprang. It was not the case in reality, I am aware, but it was in my imagination that dismal night and I thought Heathcliff himself less guilty than I. At seven o'clock he came and inquired if Miss Linton had risen. She ran to the door immediately and answered, Yes, here then, he said, opening it and pulling her out. I rose to follow, but he turned the lock again. I demanded my release. Be patient, he replied. I'll send up your breakfast in a while. I thumped on the panels and rattled the latch angrily, and Catherine asked why I was still shut up. He answered I must try to endure it another hour and then went away. I endured it two or three hours. At length I heard a footstep, not Heathcliff's. I've brought you something to eat, said a voice. Open the door. Complying eagerly, I beheld Hareton laden with food enough to last me all day. Ticket, he added, thrusting the tray into my hand. Stay one minute, I began. Nay, cried he, and retired regardless of any prayers I could pour forth to detain him. And there I remain enclosed, the whole day, and the whole of the next night, and another, and another. If 
Five nights and four days I remained, altogether, seeing nobody but Hareton once every morning, and he was a model of a jailer, surly and dumb and deaf to every attempt at moving his sense of justice or compassion. Chapter 28 On the fifth morning, or rather afternoon, a different step approached, lighter and shorter, and this time the person entered the room. It was Zilla, donned in her scarlet shawl, with a black silk bonnet on her head, and a willow basket swung to her arm. Eh, dear Miss Dean, she exclaimed. Well, there is talk about you at Gimmerton. I never thought but you were sunk in the Black Horse Marsh, and Missy with you, till Master told me he'd found you, and he'd lodged you here. What? And you must have got on an island, sure. How long were you in the hole? Did Master save you, Miss Dean? But you're not so thin. You've not been poorly, have you? Your master is a true scoundrel, I replied, but he shall answer for it. He needn't have raised that tale. It shall all be laid bare. What do you mean? asked Zilla. It's not his tale. They tell that in the village, about your being lost in the marsh. And I calls to Earnshaw when I come in. Eh, there's queer things, Mr Hareton, happened since I went off. It's a sad pity of that likely young lass and can't Dean Nelly, he stared. I thought he had not heard aught, so I told him about the rumour. The master listened, and he just smiled to himself and said, If they'd have been in the marsh, they were out now, Zilla. Nelly Dean is lodged at this minute in your room. You can tell her to flit when you go up. Here is the key. The bog water got into her head, and she would have run home quite flightily, but I fixed her till she came round to her senses. You can bid her go to the Grange at once, if she be able, and carry a message from me that her young lady will follow in time to attend the squire's funeral. Mr Edgar is not dead, I gasped. Oh, Zilla, Zilla. No, no, sit you down, my good mistress, she replied. You're right sickly yet. He's not dead. Dr Kenneth thinks he may last another day. I met him on the road and asked. Instead of sitting down, I snatched my outdoor things and hastened below, for the way was free. On entering the house, I looked about for someone to give information of Catherine. The place was filled with sunshine and the door stood wide open, but nobody seemed at hand. As I hesitated whether to go off at once or return to seek my mistress, a slight cough drew my attention to the hearth. Linton lay on the settle, sole tenant, sucking a stick of sugar candy and pursuing my movements with apathetic eyes. Where is Miss Catherine? I demanded sternly, supposing I could frighten him into giving intelligence by catching him thus alone. He sucked on like an innocent. Is she gone? I said. No, he replied. She's upstairs. She's not to go. We won't let her. We won't let her, little idiot, I exclaimed. Direct me to her room immediately, or I'll make you sing out sharply. Papa would make you sing out if you attempted to get there, he answered. He says I am not to be soft with Catherine. She's my wife, and it's shameful that she should wish to leave me. He says she hates me and wants me to die that she may have my money. But she shan't have it, and she shan't go home. She never shall. She may cry and be as sick as much as she pleases. He resumed his former occupation, closing his lids as if he meant to drop asleep. Master Heathcliff, I resumed, have you forgotten all Catherine's kindness to you last winter? 
when you affirmed you loved her and when she brought you books and sung you songs and came many a time through wind and snow to see you. She wept to miss one evening because you would be disappointed and you felt then that she was a hundred times too good for you. And now you believe the lies your father tells you, though you know he detests you both, and you join him against her. That's fine gratitude, is it not? The corner of Linton's mouth fell, and he took the sugar candy from his lips. Did she come to Wuthering Heights because she hated you, I continued. Think for yourself. And as to your money, she does not even know that you will have any. And you say she's sick, and yet you leave her alone up there in a strange house. You, who felt pity what it is to be so neglected. You could pity your own sufferings, and she pitied them too, but she won't pity hers. I shed tears, Master Heathcliff, you see, an elderly woman and a servant merely, and you, after pretending such affection, and having reason to worship her almost, store every tear you have for yourself and lie there quite at ease. Ah, oh, you're a selfish, selfish, heartless boy. I can't stay with her, he answered crossly, and I'm not stay by myself. She cries so I can't bear it, and she won't give over, though I say I'll call my father. I did call him once, and he threatened to strangle her if she was not quiet. But she began again the instant he left the room, moaning and grieving all night long, though I screamed for vexation that I couldn't sleep. Is Mr Heathcliff out? I inquired, perceiving that the wretched creature had no power to sympathise with his cousin's mental tortures. He's in the court, he replied, talking to Dr Kenneth, who says uncle is dying truly at last. I'm glad, for I shall be master of the Grange after him. Catherine always spoke of it as her house. It isn't hers, it's mine. Papa says everything she has is mine. All her nice books are mine. She offered to give me them and her pretty birds and her pony Minnie if I would get the key of the room and let her out. But I told her she had nothing to give. They were all, all mine. And then she cried and took a little picture from her neck and said I should have that. Two pictures in a gold case. On one side her mother and on the other uncle when they were young. That was yesterday. I said they were mine too and tried to get them from her. The spiteful thing wouldn't let me. She pushed me off and hurt me. I shrieked out, that frightens her, and heard Papa coming, and she broke the hinges and divided the case and gave me her mother's portrait. The other she attempted to hide, but Papa asked what was the matter, and I explained it. He took the one I had away and ordered her to resign hers to me. She refused, and he, he struck her down and wrenched it off the chain and crushed it with his foot. And were you pleased to see her struck? I asked, having my designs in encouraging his talk. I winked, he answered. I wink to see my father strike a dog or a horse. He does it so hard. Yet I was glad at first she deserved punishing for punishing me. But when Papa was gone, she made me come to the window and showed me her cheek cut on the inside against her teeth and her mouth filling with blood. And then she gathered up the bits of the picture and went and sat down with her face to the wall and she has never spoken to me since, and I sometimes think she can't speak for pain. I don't like to think so, but she's a naughty thing for crying continually, and she looks so pale and wild, I'm afraid of her. And you can get the key if you choose, I said. Yes, when I'm upstairs, he answered, but I can't walk upstairs now. What apartment is it? I asked. Oh, he cried, I shan't tell you where it is, it is our secret. 
Nobody, neither Hareton nor Zilla, is to know. There, you've tired me. Go away. Go away. And he turned his face onto his arm and shut his eyes again. I considered it best to depart without seeing Mr Heathcliff and bring in a rescue for my young lady from the Grange. On reaching it, the astonishment of my fellow servants to see me and their joy also was intense. And when they heard that their little mistress was safe, two or three were about to hurry up and shout the news at Mr Edgar's door. But I bespoke of the announcement of it myself. How changed I found him, even in those few days. He lay an image of sadness and resignation. Awaiting his death. Very young he looked. Though his actual age was 39, one might have called him ten years younger at least. He thought of Catherine, for he murmured her name. I touched his hand and spoke. Catherine is coming, dear master. I whispered she's alive and well and will be here, I hope, tonight. I trembled at the first effects of this intelligence. He half rose up, looked eagerly around the apartment and then sank back in a swoon. As soon as he recovered, I related our compulsory visit and detention at the Heights. I said Heathcliff forced me to go in, which was not quite true. I uttered as little as possible against Linton, nor did I describe all his father's brutal conduct, my intention being to add no bitterness, if I could help it, to his already overflowing cup. He divined that one of his enemy's purposes was to secure the personal property as well as the estate to his son, or rather himself. Yet why he did not wait till his decease was a puzzle to my master, because ignorant how nearly he and his nephew would quit the world together. However, he felt that his will had better be altered. Instead of leaving Catherine's fortune at her own disposal, he determined to put it in the hands of trustees for her use during her life and for her children, if she had any, after her. By that means, it could not fall to Mr Heathcliff should Linton die. Having received his orders, I dispatched a man to fetch the attorney and four more provided with serviceable weapons to demand my young lady of her jailer. Both parties were delayed very late. A single servant returned first. He said Mr Green, the lawyer, was out when he arrived at his house and he had to wait two hours for his re-entrance. And then Mr Green told him he had a little business in the village that must be done but he would be at Thrushcross Grange before morning. The four men came back unaccompanied also. They brought word that Catherine was too ill, too ill to quit her room, and Heathcliff would not suffer her to, would not suffer them to see her. I scolded the stupid fellows well for listening to that tale, which I would not carry up to my master, resolving to take a whole bevy up to the heights at daylight and storm it literally, unless the prisoner were quietly surrendered to us. Her father shall see her, I vowed, and vowed again, if that devil be killed on his own doorstones in trying to prevent it. Happily, I was spared the journey and the trouble. I had gone downstairs at three o'clock to fetch a jug of water and was passing through the hall with it in my hand when a sharp knock at the front door made me jump. Oh, it is green, I said, recollecting myself, only green. And I went on, intending to send somebody else to open it. But the knock was repeated not loud and still inopportunely, importunately. I put the jug on the banister and hastened to omit him myself. The harvest moon shone clear outside. It was not the attorney. My own sweet little mistress sprang on my neck, sobbing, Ellen, Ellen, is Papa alive? 
Yes, I cried. My angel, he is. God be thanked, you are safe with us again. She wanted to run, breathless as she was, upstairs to Mr Linton's room, but I compelled her to sit down on a chair and made her drink and washed her pale face, chafing it into a faint colour with my apron. Then I said I must go first and tell of her arrival, imploring her to say she should be happy with young Heathcliff. She stared, but soon comprehending why I counselled her to utter the falsehood, she assured me she would not complain. I couldn't abide to be present at their meeting. I stood outside the chamber door a quarter of an hour and hardly ventured near the bed. All was composed, however. Catherine's despair was as silent as her father's joy. She supported him calmly in appearance, and he fixed on her features his raised eyes that seemed dilating with ecstasy. He died blissfully, Mr Lockwood. He died so. Kissing her cheek, he murmured, I'm going to her, and you, darling child, shall come to us. And never stirred or spoke again, but continued that rapt, radiant gaze till his pulse imperceptibly stopped and his soul departed. None could have noticed the exact minute of his death. It was so entirely without a struggle. Whether Catherine had spent her tears, or whether the grief were too weighty to let them flow, she sat there dry-eyed till the sun rose. She sat till noon, and would still have remained brooding, brooding over that deathbed, but I insisted on her coming away and taking some repose. It was well I succeeded in removing her, for at dinner-time appeared the lawyer, having called at Wuthering Heights to get his instructions on how to behave. He had sold himself to Mr Heathcliff, that was the cause of his delay in obeying my master's summons. Fortunately, no thought of worldly affairs crossed the latter's mind to disturb him after his daughter's arrival. Mr Green took upon himself to order everything and everybody about to quit the place. He gave all the servants but me notice to quit. He would have carried his delegated authority to the point of insisting that Edgar Linton should not be buried beside his wife but in the chapel with his family. There was the will, however, to hinder that and my loud protestations against any infringement of its directions. The funeral was hurried over. Catherine, Mrs Linton Heathcliff now, was suffered to stay at the Grange till her father's corpse had quitted it. She told me that her anguish had at last spurred Linton to incur the risk of liberating her. She heard the men I sent disputing at the door and she gathered the sense of Heathcliff's answer. It drove her desperate. Linton, who had been conveyed up to the little parlour soon after I left, was terrified into fetching the key before his father reascended. He had the cunning to unlock and relock the door without shutting it. And when he should have gone to bed, he begged to sleep with Hareton, and his petition was granted for once. Catherine stole out of stole out before break of day. She dared not try the doors lest a dog should raise an alarm. She visited the empty chambers and examined their windows and luckily, lighting on her mother's, she got easily out of its lattice and onto the ground by means of the fir tree close by. Her accomplice suffered for his share in the escape, notwithstanding his timid contrivances.' 